Good morning. For those of you who don't know, don't know me, my name is Monica Hayden, and I have a two and a half year old named Myla, who is my heart walking outside my body. This is my husband, John, and Myla, would you tell everybody Happy Mother's Day? Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Uh, uh, I, Marilyn called me a couple of weeks ago and asked me to speak about what it's like to be the mother of a little one. And um, I'm very comfortable speaking in public, but I'm very nervous today because this is probably the most vulnerable topic I've ever spoken about. <laughs> um, I, I only have one child, and um, I don't know how anybody has the strength to do more than that. <laughs> uh, I, um, I, well, just to back up really fast, I, my husband and I started our family later. We thought we'd get financially settled first, which didn't quite work out. But um, by the time we decided to have children, we couldn't have them. And so it took at least five years before and we'd kind of given up and thought that um, we weren't going to have children. And then I was just uh, shy of 40 when she came along. So um, my pregnancy was really challenging. Not that all older moms have that problem, but I, was, I had something called hyperemesis gravidarium where I was throwing up the whole nine months all day and all night, <laughs> and no anti-nausea medicine would help me. So that was really challenging. <laughs> and then when she came along, I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life because all those hormones had disappeared suddenly in a moment. And, um, and so I thought we were on smooth sailing now. Before I was a mom, I had been a teacher, and um, I had taught every grade and every topic. I was credentialed for both elementary and high school. And so I assumed that one child with me would be a walk in the park. It was not. <laughs> um, I, I didn't anticipate the amount, what, what sleep deprivation does to you. Um, I, I read a study recently uh, that showed in lab studies where they had people um, stay awake for just 24 hours, and they monitored them to see, and they were, the scientists were surprised at how quickly, in 24 hours, they could turn a normal, healthy person into a schizophrenic, with schizophrenic symptoms, and I was awake for four days at a time sometimes. <laughs> So uh, they say that driving tired is actually worse than driving drunk. Well, so is mothering. <laughs> I, I really had a, I, I was surprised because all through when I was a teacher, I had some pretty challenging students, but I never once lost my temper. And I was surprised and disappointed that I could lose my patience with my baby, who I adored and wanted to be perfect for. So um, I, I would say that from the precious to the profound, I've, I've changed so dramatically. I really feel like when your child is born, you are born again. Like you suddenly become 
this new creature, your old self dies, <laughs> and the new creature begins. And you have to learn, just like a baby has to learn how to walk and talk, you have to kind of learn how to navigate this uh, all, all over again. Your identity changes, your, even unfortunately your friendships kind of have to change because you can't stay out late anymore. And, um, you kind of have to go with groups of people who want to do things a lot slower than you used to. And building those friendships takes time. So it's been a huge adjustment. And um, I think the thing that I've learned the most that has impacted me the most is how how I used to not forgive my parents for some of the times that they lost their cool with me. Um, and I didn't recognize how tired they were and how they, um, you know, they were at their wit's end in those same ways that I now understand that I never understood before. And so it's really healed those relationships in ways that I didn't anticipate. And that was probably the most amazing blessing that came out of it. Anyway, I believe it's Julie's turn to come on up. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. My name is Julie Kiddo. For those of you who don't know me, I am the wife of Gary Kiddo and the mother of Emily, Amanda, and Ethan Kiddo. And what you should know about me is that I feel like I'm most equipped in my comfort zone to support people who stand up here. <laughs> to carry their instruments, to adjust their microphones, to get their chairs, and not to stay up here. So I would ask you to pray for and with me. If you bow your heads. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. And you are, we need you for every breath. Sometimes we realize it more than others. And I pray that you will pour out your spirit on these people, and that as we come together to worship you, that you will be glorified in everything that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I invite you to turn with me to Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And I'll be reading out of the New International Version. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I've always been a big fan of object lessons. I love children's stories. I, in school, I always loved the labs. I love Bible stories, and I love parables, and I love verses that start like, the kingdom of heaven is like. So recently, I've been thinking about what it means to be a church family and what God asks of me as a member of this church family. And I've noticed that there's a lot of interesting parallels between my church family and my family table. Now, you should know my family table rarely looks like this. <laughs> it's usually much simpler. 
And when I became a new mom, a lot of emphasis was given to the value of having family dinners. And at that time, technology wasn't as big of a deal as it is right now. But as you know, busyness and distraction are not new things, just sort of the way we're busy and distracted. So sometimes having a family meal around the table can seem impossible. And I can't even say that we do it every day. Sometimes it's a challenge just to get to the table. We've been scattered apart all day. And um, at the end of a long day, I confess that trying to cook something and get it on the table just feels really, really overwhelming. In addition to that, sometimes not everyone wants to come. Not everyone wants to pause to stop what they're doing. But when we do, it's family time. It's family time like we seldom get in the busyness of the rest of the day. It's laughing, teasing, catching up. Sometimes it's arguing. Sometimes it's resolving. It's where we learn about the little things that didn't come up before. It's where we talk about what happened today and what's coming up tomorrow. And it's where I most often hear those wonderful words, Oh, Mom! I forgot to tell you. Without family dinner, I might not hear that. It's a place for practicing basic manners and kindness with those who know you best and have to forgive you the most. Now, you should know that I don't consider myself to have the gift of hospitality. So if hospitality happens at our table, it's a shared expression by everybody who's there. If something is missing at our table, You know, it's not often Gary or I that notices it and gets up to fix it. Um, The task usually falls to the person who notices the need. For example, if the drinks or forks or condiments are missing, the one who notices it gets it not only for themselves but for the whole group. Go ahead and get up and get one for yourself and for the rest of us while you're up. It was a beautiful thing when I no longer heard the words, so where's the drink? and instead started seeing the children get up, grab cups and something to drink and serve everyone else. And I wondered, is there a parallel in our church experience? Is it possible that what we perceive as a need or deficiency in our church is merely the Holy Spirit tapping us on the shoulder and asking us to be part of filling a need that exists for others as well? Now, there are times when we've intentionally made room at our table for guests. I ask my kids to get out the leaf of the table and the folding chairs and the longer tablecloth. And it's time to widen our circle. And it was interesting, this year, I had the privilege of being part of a girls' Bible study over at PAA, and it was my job to bring lunch. (laughs) And it was their job to bless me with the wisdom from their hearts. And the title of the study was, We Saved You a Seat by Lisa Jo Baker, and it was a study on friendship and fellowship. And um, when we had our very first meeting, we decided to leave an empty seat at every meeting just to remind us that it was always open for anybody who wanted to come. And it was kind of fun because we just had our very last meeting where we concluded our study, and we had that particular meeting at our house. And... um, I have pretty dishes because my great-grandmother and grandmother and, and many other women in my life and my mom have um, made that a family tradition. And so I invited the girls to set their table with whatever dish, fork, glass, whatever they wanted. And we had 
seven different place settings. And it was really fun because we talked about how not only do we make room for each other, but we make room for each other's differences. And that what makes this table beautiful is the variety among us. At home, there are times that we celebrate an individual family member as they celebrate a birthday, a graduation, or a special achievement. However, if I, I was thinking, if I regularly said to my youngest child, so you're the youngest, how would you like to do dinner? We would have hot dogs, Cheetos, and watermelon on cartoon paper plates every single meal. Similarly, if I were to cook to suit Gary's preferences exclusively, we would have broccoli, artichokes, and pickles far more than any of the rest of us would like. Sometimes we do have a Lego theme party and pizza, but sometimes we have soup and salad, haystacks, or baked potatoes, and sometimes we have breakfast for dinner. And by breakfast, I don't mean scrambled eggs and hash browns. I mean toast and cereal. Not every meal is everyone's favorite all of the time. But the variety and ten- intentionality behind balancing the needs and wants of everyone makes us all healthier. It's good to balance celebrating. It's good to balance serving one another. Sometimes I wonder if I'm willing to advocate and honor someone else's preferences as well as I am my own. Sometimes what I think is right is merely just what I'm comfortable with and what I'm familiar with. And I got to wondering, might we honor one another in a way that helps us both celebrate and serve the differing needs and preferences among our family? And might we keep in mind that as we do so, it's all for his glory. The final lesson is more profound to me because I don't particularly like to cook and serve meals. And it's not an admission that I'm proud of, and neither is it a surprise to my family. But I do so, first, because we need to eat, and second, because I treasure that time around the table after the food is made. Food and fellowship, family, fun, forgiveness, love, and life. Isn't that what the table's for? And isn't that what church is for? to enjoy, to celebrate, to love and forgive, to practice kindness and grace towards those who know you best and those who have to forgive you the most. I love nothing more than being on my way to my parents' house and to call my mom and dad and have my mom say, we'll have dinner ready when you get here. Oh, dinner, (laughs) and I don't have to cook. What a beautiful thing, table set, the smell of food, When we walk in the door, nothing but a welcome home hug. Just drop your bags, take a seat. Friends, we're on our way home. Jesus is setting the table. He has promised, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So come, just come just as you are. Be welcomed in his embrace. Drop your bags and every burden that you carry and take your seat. Randy Waring is my husband. My name is Cindy Waring. And I am mom to Ryan, Brittany, Amanda, and Michael. And I am Gammy to four little cute granddaughters. 
So by now, it's probably clear the role that I'm playing this morning, and that is I'm the old mom. But perhaps that will allow me to share a little bit of what I've learned through the years. First, a little pre-mother history. After Randy and I got married, we lived in Southern California. He was in residency. I was office manager of an aerospace corporation. We were happy, busy, involved. We had been married almost four years and we started thinking about having a family. I looked at my sister's family. At the time, she had two little girls. I looked at my brother's family. He had two little girls. There were no little boys at our family reunions. Certainly, I thought, this can be remedied. I bought the book, How to Determine the Sex of Your Child. After reading the book, Randy and I decided we were going to try for our little boy. Sure enough, I got pregnant. I worked until the weekend before due date, fully expecting him to come promptly. And he did. He was born on due date. Fifteen months later, I got pregnant again. And we had our little girl, two years apart, just like we had planned. And some of you may be laughing, at least thinking to yourself, life does have unexpected surprises, doesn't it? And yes, it does. And that surprise for me came in the form of a phone call on April 12, 1994. A terrible tragedy in my sister's family meant that my niece and nephew would be joining our family. Suddenly, we had four children, five, seven, nine, and 11. It wasn't long until I realized that not all children respond in similar ways. The clear ideas I had about parenting were replaced by confusion, and doubt. We prayed, talked to godly people in their lives, and then found a wonderful counselor. One day during an appointment, he gave me a piece of paper with the title of a book written on it. I looked at the title. It said, Hope for the Perfectionist. I looked at him puzzled. Dr. Besega, I said, my child has been diagnosed with ADHD, oppositional defiance, and is possibly bipolar. No one has suggested that he might be a perfectionist. <laughs> Dr. Basega smiled and he said, No, Cindy, I think this book might be helpful for you. I admit, I alphabetize my spices, and I do hang my colors according to the sequence of the colors of the rainbow, but a perfectionist, wasn't that a little harsh? However, over time, here are seven things that I wish that my young mother self had known. Number one, you are enough. By this I mean you were made to be you, as you are, on purpose. Psalm 139.13 says, You created my inmost being. In my mother's womb, you knit me. You don't have to be more, do more, or buy more to be who you were meant to be. It doesn't mean that we're self-sufficient. It doesn't mean that we are perfect. 
we will continue to learn and grow and change as long as God gives us life. Number two, one size does not fit all. With the Holy Spirit's guidance, keep trying different ooh, keep trying different approaches to meet your child's needs. Pray that the love of God will so fill you that you will be able to see your child as God sees them. Number three, savor the moments. Be intentional about creating memories for your family and for others. One spring break, we were driving to Utah. We stopped at a restaurant to eat. Service was a little slow, and so we had time to sit and talk and tell knock-knock jokes, which was a favorite at that time. As we were leaving, a woman stopped me. She says, I am so sorry that my husband and I kept staring at you, but it was so much fun watching you interact with your children. It looks like you really enjoy being together. Her words helped to cement that memory in my mind. Number four, live in community. It does take a village. Mother's Day often focuses on biological mothers. I want to recognize all women whether they have children or not, for the mothering they do by extending their arms to embrace children not their own. I will forever be grateful to the women who surrounded me after our family doubled, giving me quick and easy recipes, hints on dealing with mountains of laundry, tips on blending families, and inviting the children on play dates. We continue to pray that God will use the influence and the voices of godly people to touch the lives of our children and our grandchildren. Five, you are responsible to your child. You are not responsible for your child. You are responsible for modeling a life of faith, morality, and good character. You are not responsible for decisions that your child makes. I have a child who has abused drugs and alcohol, is mentally ill, and has walked out of our lives. Oh, I know what it's like to fear for his safety and for the safety of our family. I've questioned God and myself. This is what I've discovered. Sometimes there isn't a good why, but the work is God. The work of God is always present. In my pain, God is present. Your pain is not where God is absent. Your pain is where God is most present. Six, God is not finished with you or your child. If you are a parent and you love your child, and they are all grown up, but they are far from faith and far from God, know this, you still get to love them no matter what. You can will and work for and pray for their good, 
their story is not over. God loves your child more than you do, and God's heart breaks over your child even more than your heart breaks. So you can release your child to the hand and the care of God. Seven, the last thing I would tell my child is, look at your child. Actually, I would tell myself this, my young mother self this. Look at your child. Someday that child may bring another child into this world. A child that will laugh and smile. It will melt your heart. A child that you can read to and mentor and tell knock-knock jokes to. A child foreseen in the heart of God. A God whose love is the source of hope. So mothers and fathers and boys and girls, when you are discouraged because of your circumstances, hang on to hope. God is faithful. More than what you currently see is possible because of the transforming love of God.